on cliffcentral.com. It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go to the Cliff Central account. Tab connect. Then message to show. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show. Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. It's 7 past 1 p.m. on Tuesday. My name is Greg Nicholson and I'm filling in today for Kingsley Kapoori, who's, who's away. Um, that song just there was Nina Simone's Baltimore, written, um, that was a cover that came out in 1977, but still relevant today with the pain and heartbreak that we're witnessing in Baltimore. Today I'm joined by Ranjani Munasami who will be here in studio with me talking about, later on in the show, we're going to talk to Daily Maverick contributor Rebecca Davis and her book, Best White and Other Anxious Delusions. But first of all, we're going to talk about the big political event of this weekend regarding the official opposition party in the country, the Democratic Alliance. Since since uh, Helen Ziller took over in 2008, wasn't it, around Jenny? We've... <laughs> we've we've seen the we've seen the DA's rise go from 16% in the national elections in 2009 jumping to 23% in 2014 where they got two uh, they got over 4 million votes nationally um they grow they've grown their black vote although that was off a very small base and now they're they're at a point where they're potentially being seen as um, a changed party more racially inclusive and and in the in the local government elections next year, they realistically have a chance of of governing in uh, Nelson Mandela Bay, Tswane, and even Joburg. Ranjani, where are we at with the DA right now, and and what sort of state is Helen Zilla left the party in? Well, I think that there has been phenomenal growth um, in the, that we've witnessed. Uh, uh, over the past few years, uh, it's not as much as they had hoped for. Remember that they initially pitched to get uh, 30% of the vote uh, in the uh, 2014 elections and then had to dial it down uh, once the reality of the situation set in. And the reality of the situation is that there's still perceptions about the DA uh, you know, as being a white party trying to become non-racial. Um, and uh, I, th- I think that that is the dilemma f- for them now, is that what exactly are they changing into and meant to be changing into? Because South Africa is largely a black country, even though constitutionally we are a non-racial society, but it is a largely black society. So therefore, if your target is to, is to, is to increase uh, your support base rapidly, it means that the that the 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 kind of um non racial target may not actually be the right formula uh for 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 incre- increasing a support base and that you you need to be more directly black um and i think um look the, uh, it came up in the debate last night about whether her departure was at the right time for the party um and Wilmot James certainly said that uh, he was one of the people who argued against it because he believed that Helen Ziller was uh, the DA's biggest brand and therefore she would have still been uh, the biggest draw card for the 2016 election because she represents what DA governance is meant to be in the, in the way she's running the Western Cape. But even then, it's about perception, and I think that Helen Ziller was um, patently aware of that, that um, that perception, that although 
the DA feels they're doing a good job of running the Western Cape, that that is not the perception of people elsewhere in the country and certainly not the black citizenry of the Western Cape. Um, and I think that she, she realized that you, you, you cannot just, uh, uh, hope to draw more support purely on the basis of that oh, we'd be doing a decent job. In, in the Western Cape and the city of Cape Town and that they need, needed to be more of an image change at the top. Uh, and I think that the, the, you know, the two candidates, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, they, they were perhaps the most, uh, visible black faces, uh, in, in the DA and therefore it make, made sense for them to, to, to be able to, to run for the position. But I'm not sure that in terms of the maturity of the party where it intends to to head in the next 10 years that they are necessarily the people needed for South Africa's mm. big, uh, 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 biggest opposition and certainly a party that has ambitions for governance mm. in the future. Well, let's look at that decision of Helen Zilla to, to decide not to contest uh, the leadership of the party this weekend in Port Elizabeth. It seems that she may have realized, as you're saying, that if she is the party's biggest brand, then, and she spent such a concerted amount of time actually trying to create an inclusive environment where they can nurture and foster young black leaders. You know, if you look at your Musi Maimani, Alindiwe Mazabuko, Mbali Antuli, Makashulagana, and, and others, and, and some, many of those guys, guys who've gone through the, the DA sort of young leaders program. That she must recognize at some point that if she spent all this time trying to really transform the, the perception that the, D, the DA is a white party, that then it's a problem if she's going, if she's the biggest brand as a white person, um, continuing to lead the party. And we know it is of concern for her, even though the DA often have mixed messages and deny that they care about, um, the race of its leader. We know from the, from the Mampella Rampella decision that they do want a black leader, or Helen Zilla did want a black leader, and she was prepared to make enormous sacrifices for that. Um, so it seems that she has taken the right choice, or or at least really sort of opened the race up for the next step in the in the DA's future. Yes, but you see, even with that, with with the with the Rampele thing, and with um, uh, the the change of leadership coming this weekend, is how much power and influence does it have? Over the positioning of, of the DA. It's good. Say, for example, the, the Rampele deal worked out. And, um, so the, the DA's version of that deal was that she then becomes the leader of the opposition in parliament. So she would have been what Musi Maimani is now. Um, but not leader of the DA. So mm-hmm. Zile would have remained a leader of the DA and Rampele would have been elected on a hung ticket. But lead off the opposition in, in parliament. So it would have been a strange formula. So because she was not, um, she, she would not have been a member of the DA then. She would have just been, uh, I don't know, like, you know, uh, yes. a superficial leader Some of the opposition. Yeah. 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 Like straddling both the DA and Ahang. So, you know, there would have been, uh, so it, w- it would have been uh, the kind of deal that the um, independent Democrats had initially with the DA, where they remained the independent Democrats but served, um, you know, the the DA. So, you know, if there are the policy differences and things, then it just becomes fudged. Um, but there were, uh, you know, the, 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 
this is the, the, the challenge then. What, what would have happened on policies such as black economic empowerment? So would Rampele, for example, have ha- been able to change the, the DA's position on it? Hmm. Um, and I doubt she would have been. So it would have been purely a PR stunt. And I think that the ANC, as well as the people of South Africa, would have called them out on it. Mm-hmm. You know, they would have seen through that, uh, that, that it's purely superficial. Now, um, in terms of what's happening this weekend, it's a more democratic process. It's people who come from the ranks of the DA. They're respected in the, in, in DA structures. Uh, they're visible faces of the party. But again, how much influence would this new bl- black leader have on the position and standing of the DA? You must remember that the DA is also still very heavily, heavily reliant on its core constituency, um, which is uh, white South Africans, uh, colored South Africans, um, people who came, uh, uh, who who opposed apartheid, but not. Uh, you know, did not participate, uh, completely or, or, or fully in the, in the, in the liberation struggle. So they were not, uh, you know, in the NC structures, not in the PAC, not in Azapo, um, not in any of those structures. There is a spillover from people who were in the national party or supported the national party. Um, so there's a, there's a cross section, uh, of people in, um, in the, in the middle classes. Um, that, that, that for, form the core, core constituency of the DA's base. But over the past few years, they have been able to, to tap into black communities, into township communities. Um, and they've been doing very well, uh, in that, in terms of diversifying their base, but not to the extent that it changes fundamentally the core constituency of the DA. Um, so, that constituency, I think, will be watching and waiting to see what exactly uh, future leader uh, James or Maimani would do. Uh, I think it's it's quite a safe bet to say it is going to be my money, but uh, you know you never know what happen what, what could happen in the next few days um, if there's a surprise. But that constituency certainly be, will be watching to see how much this change of leadership interferes with. Uh, the formula they want out of a political party. Mm-hmm. One of the criticisms of Helen Zilla is, I guess, criticisms and advantages of her leadership is the strong nature of her character. But if we look at a writer uh, and former staffer like Gareth Van Onselen, he wrote recently saying that these elections don't even really matter, whatever happens, just because she's she's had such a tight control over the party. So he even wrote that it doesn't matter who leads the DA next, as there will be nothing more than the embodiment of an impulse to power so ingrained in the party, they'll merely live out a learnt repertoire. And what he was saying was that they don't have, they no longer have the ability to introspect and look at themselves. They only have this sort of self-righteous view that whatever they're doing is right. Do you see, before we get on to these and talk about these leaders, um, the candidates in particular, do you see that as that the de- Helen Zilla has stifled debate to the extent that now it's hard for the DA to actually look at look at itself and ask, "Are we doing the right things?" You know the thing about the DA, um, and I, I think it's the, the the thing we love to hate most about the DA is that it it's a party that rides its high horse. 
Mm. You know, it always believes that. In particular, some of some of its leaders really embody yes. that. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of it is based on the fact that the the NC, uh, you know, is uh, is sometimes clumsy. You know, it gets caught up in its. Uh, its weaknesses, um, it stumbles a lot, and I think the DA plays on that. It it rides completely on on that fact, and therefore, you know, the heavy criticism of the DA was, "What do you stand for? What are you?" And um, they had tried to display that through how they govern the Western Cape, and Helen Zilla. Apart from being the leader of the DA, is also the premier of the Western Cape. So we we view the DA's leadership largely through the prism of her leadership. Mm. And she's the most prominent DA yeah. member that we know. Absolutely, um, you know, and she she is a, a very authoritative. Um, she's she's a, she has a very dominant presence in the DA, um, and therefore I suppose that um, you know I think that there was a a, a good dynamic. Uh, when Lindiwe Mazibuko led the DA in parliament, because then you could see the differences. You could see, um, the shades of difference in the DA leadership in terms of its presence in parliament and in the, in the way, uh, the, the Western Cape was being, uh, governed. Um, but I think that those lines are, are cloudier under, um, Musi Maimani's leadership of the DA in parliament, mostly because he is not as assertive and as Different a personality as, um, or, or a dominant, uh, uh, personality as Maziboko was. Um, so Maziboko was very much her own person and, uh, set, you know, wanting to set her own agenda. And I think that's the reason there was a fallout with, with mm. Zilla, mm. you know, because she wanted to run the parliamentary caucus the way she wanted to on issues she wanted to and not just merely on, on, on the basis of the, the NC, I mean, the DA's high horse strategy. But I think my money is quite happy to play into that. And I think part of that is because of his own insecurities. He's completely fresh. He's inexperienced in parliamentary politics. Um, he's only been a full-time uh, politician since 2011. So, um, you know, and also he's been packaged for different things. He initially bounced onto the scene as the DA's candidate for mayor in, in the city of Johannesburg. Then he became the premier candidate, uh, or before the, even being the premier candidate, he was national spokesman. So and then he led the Joburg caucus. So, and as national spokesman, he was, in essence, uh, Zilla's spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Because she's leader of the party, so you know he's very much marching to her, to her tune. Um, then he was uh, the candidate for premier in Gauteng, um, and then suddenly, well, once uh, Mazibuko decided that she she's quitting, uh, he then became um, the candidate for opposition leader in parliament. So he's been a lot of things in a in a small amount of time. So <clears throat> therefore, he he hasn't been able to define who and what he is precisely. Hmm. Um, but he has found his feet, I must say, in Parliament, and he is trying to assert himself more now. But I think one of the one of the things in this DA leadership election race that I've found so interesting is, for the first time, we really, really are questioning some of some of these attributes, not just on a surface level, but going a little bit deeper into both who is Wilmot James and who is Musi Maimani, and we're actually learning new things about them. And and one of the things I seem to have learned about Musi Maimani is that. On, on some 
key policy issues and then, and even sort of moral and value issues, he seems to sway in the wind a little bit. Either he's not sure about what he, what he wants to commit to or he's not confident enough to communicate what his values. And so instead he says stuff like, um, let's put it to a vote. Let's have a referendum. But that, that leads into last night. You watched the debate, um, between the two leaders last night. Can you tell us about what happened? Yes. Uh, but, but, but before we get to that, you see, that's the thing about, uh, about leadership debates in South Africa is that they're hardly based on policy issues, mm. especially, you know, with the gigantic debates in the ANC. It's always about factional battles. Mm. It's never about what do you stand for. So, for example, with, uh, with Tabumbek, and Jacob Zuma and Paul Kwane in 2007 and uh, Jacob Zuma and Khalima Motlante in uh, in 2012 we never knew what what was the difference it was based mostly on their personalities and and the factions behind them and, and the so ANC the, seemed to make a concerted effort not to put one leader above the party that's what they always say yes right? because they have a common policy position mm-hmm. so they claim mm. so there's no differences between those presidential candidates in terms of the policy they stand for because the ANC policy conference determines policy supposedly um <laughs> but so uh, now, now it's 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 uh, i think quite a remarkable thing to have an intra party debate mm. in the way we're having now. So, um, and I think that, um, uh, Maimani was perhaps not fully prepared, uh, for, for what exactly that means so that he had to himself define what he stands for. Um, and you see that that was my concern also about when Zilla stepped down because she stepped down basically three weeks before, um, the elective Congress. So it didn't give the candidates enough time to define themselves for what, what they stand for. So, I mean, my money camp was able to make uh, fancy posters and billboards and all of that. So, you know, they've got that going. But I think it was very little time for him to define himself. So I think, but I think there there could be a worry that if they gave him more time, there'd actually be more time to put him under pressure and sort of critique his character. Well, I don't know about that. I think that it would have, it would have been more time for for DA structures to to debate who he is, mm-hmm. get to know him because many people don't know him. Uh, he's been foisted onto the top of the DA, um, and uh, you know I don't know if uh, if the DA structures in Alspreet know who he is, what he said. I've been able to get you know engage with him, that kind of thing. They know their leaders, and it's whether their leaders trust him, and that's how they would make decisions. Um, so I, I think that I mean three weeks for you know for somebody to 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 jump to the uh, to the to become leader of the the South Africa's biggest opposition party, and eventually the DA's presidential candidate. You know, because it would be rather strange if the person who is now DA leader is again not the presidential candidate. They'll still be scrounging around for somebody else to to be top mm. of the DA ticket in 2019. Whichever new party pops up at the time, yeah, their leader. Yeah, so you know, it, it would they they need to make that decision knowing that whoever they choose now is going to be the presidential candidate in 2019. Um, and you know, is a, is a top of the ticket. So, I mean, to make that decision in three weeks is rather difficult, especially when you don't know what, what, where exactly this person stands for. And it became clear last night in the debate, um, and it could have been shocking to some people that, uh, that Musi Maimani is not perhaps as uh, definitive 
on DA policy as they, they perhaps think he is. Mm. Because it's one thing to package a person and, you know, you, 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 you talk according to a script and, you know, you sing the DA tune, but when it comes down to nuts and bolts, you're not quite sure. And there's the worry because he's got, he's got the, um, the skills in speech. He's got the, the fancy support behind him with all the posters and he's been punted as this, you know, huge sort of, um, next leader of the country and the guy we've been waiting for largely. But the worry is if he can't actually articulate himself properly on his own party's position, what's the, what sort of a leader will he be? Yes, absolutely. I think Musi Maimani is basically South Africa's first, um, uh, you know, personality politician. Mm. Because it's purely on, you know, his, um, his, his pop value. Mm. It's all grandeur. Yeah. <coughs> so, uh, you know, the thing is that when it came, to, came to the, the nuts and bolts of the debate, uh, last night, it was, uh, quite astonishing. Um, because when, uh, when the host asked about key issues such as, uh, gay marriage, and uh, uh and uh the debt penalty um which are kind of fundamentals in terms of you know uh, the 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 values and uh policies of a, of a liberal party which mm. the the DA purports to be and also the laws of our country yes you know he fumbled on that so what it did is took the line as oh, that we let the people decide because i'm a democrat and basically you know we let we let people out there decide now you know there's democracy and then there is just rule of the mob you, there is a difference. So, you know, to, 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 to say that at this point in time shows that he is not, he doesn't yet have authority. Um, and he, he's not definitive as a leader. And, and that is quite concerning for, for, for people who, who are standing behind him right now. And, and I think those questions actually stemmed from the article that actually looked at his, his religious views and his, his involvement as a, I think, well, what is he, a pastor in the Liberty Church or something like that? Yes. And, um, you know, that's, that's the thing. And I think that's where James caught him out on because, uh, James was able to make the, the point quite clearly that there is a big difference between party and state. I mean, so between, uh, between the church and the state. Mm. Uh, and it should remain that way. Where Musi, it seems like he doesn't want to renounce his church's views. Yes. So he chooses the easier option of putting fundamental rights of South Africans up to a national vote. Absolutely. Uh, and when, when the host tried to draw him out on that particular point, he was, Basically saying um, that he, you know that he's got his personal views mm-hmm. on certain things, but the, you know the the, the the people must decide. You're listening to the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Um, we're talking about the DA um, National Congress that's coming up this weekend, and later we're going to be talking to the Daily Mavericks' Rebecca Davis. Stay tuned for more. And now we return to Not My Season. Oh, Manuel, you shouldn't have come here. I couldn't stay away, Gloria. Oh, my husband will be home soon. I don't care. Ah. If we don't tell him, he will hear it from someone else. No, Rodrigo must never find out. Rodrigo must never find out about what? Rodrigo? Rodrigo. Manuel. What are you doing in my house? No, Rodrigo, it's not what he looked like, I promise. Shh! Manuel can speak for himself. No, please, please! He must know, Gloria. Know what? It's... Huh? It's Ronaldo. 
What about Ronaldo? They say he has been suspended. No. He will not play the next match. Huh? It's on the news. Oh. The whole of Madrid knows. Oh. The people in Barcelona, no. they're celebrating already. This cannot be. It's true. Why Ronaldo? Why? Men's issues need men's tissues. Twin Saver 3-ply tissues for men. They say, if you want to succeed, you have to go to school. If you want to be big and strong, you need to eat good. No matter what, there's nothing more important than family. There are so many children like me in South Africa that also don't have any of these things. If you could change this, would you? By clicking a like button on Facebook, you can help get children from cradle to career with Africa Tukun. Visit likechange.africatukun.org. It has been locked away from the eyes of the world. Chained, never to be released. But now, it wants to get out. Stay tuned to Cliff Central weekdays to find out how you can unleash the Jeep Renegade. Find hidden codes and videos posted by Jeep SA and you could win Jeep Renegade prizes. As well as become the person to single-handedly unleash the Jeep Renegade upon the shores of South Africa. Are you renegade enough? I'm a renegade, I just hit the ground running. Visit unleashrenegade.co.za to find out. T's and C's apply. The Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. You're here with Greg Nicholson and Ranjini Mosami from The Daily Maverick. We're talking all things Democratic Alliance today ahead of the National Congress uh, this weekend in Port Elizabeth. Now, Ranjini, we're talking about Musim Armani that, like he is going to be elected leader, almost almost as if there isn't uh, an election race. And I think the, the reason we're talking about him in, in such terms is quite obvious. It's because... Number one, he's so much more well known than Wilmot James. I was, I asked a few people when, when James announced his candidacy, who do you know, like people who, you know, who follow the news but not politics closely, do you know who James is? And pe- most people said they'd never heard of him, ever. And, and obviously people know Morsi because he was the national spokesperson, he's led the party in parliament, um, and, and he was on all the posters for the, for the Gauteng, um, premier candidate. But also I think there's the thing that the DA is, and realizes that it needs a black African leader. So is is that why we're talking about Musi as as though he is the next leader of the DA? Well, we, we're talking about Musi as the next leader of the DA because he, uh, I think he was very much the endorsed candidate. Hmm. He he's the poster child for the DA at the moment. Uh, you know, he's the, he's the mo- most popular face of the DA after Helen Zilla. But I think it's that nobody else, uh, you know, really thought that they can they can stand up to him. Nobody else has that kind of image and, um, you know, the pop personality, the quick quotes, and you know, he looks good, he talks good. He, you know, he, he's, he's the up and coming guy. Now, Wilma James is, James is everything that Musi Maimani is not. He comes from not an charismatic. Acad- <laughs> no, he comes not from an acad- academic be- background. So, you know, at the best of times, it's oh. quite like a drone when he, like, he speaks in parliament. Nobody really quotes him or, you know, pays attention to what he does. But he, I mean, he's, he's, he's an extremely intelligent man. He, you know, he's an academic. He, he has a formidable, formidable background, um, in academia. He is, um, uh, you know, he knows uh, DA policy 
inside and out. He can, you know, he can talk you into next Tuesday about it. Um, but also, you know, he's, he's not the kind of uh, personality that will do well on the stump. So, you know, he can't fire up a crowd. He can't stand mm. in the back of a bucky and whip up uh, a crowd into a frenzy, whereas Musi can do that. Um, so he's very much an old guard type of politician. So, um, you know, he's the kind of guy that if, if you do have these things of, uh, of political debates, so say you have an election debate, uh, you know, with different people from different political parties on, on a panel, he would probably be the weightiest speaker and he can probably take on um, the ANC see in terms of real policy and real issues um, and real failures, where as people as uh, like Lindiwe Mazibuka and Musi Maimani would go for the jugular, you know, they, they have the most uh, quotable quotes. Things like and the broken man, they come up with this yes, stuff that we remember exactly. and it sticks in our public yes. subconscious. Yeah, and Mazibuko has the facial expressions <laughs> and, you know, the gestures and, you know, she, she, she's able to, to talk big and, uh, you They're know. Most she, relatable as well. For yes, young people exactly. In the country, I think. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I don't even, I mean, like the, you know, the thing uh, about politics in, in 2015 is that you have to be a personality on Twitter. Mm. You know, you have to, um, be able to, to, to sing, speak on the stump. And Wilma James can't do any of those kind of things. I don't even know how many Twitter followers. Yeah. I didn't is, follow is him a, until last I think night. Like two or three thousand or something yeah, like that. Well, who knows now? That was, I checked last week, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, he, he's, he's not that. So he is bringing something completely different to the DA. Um, and he wants to bring kind of solid uh, policy and, you know, a definitive decision. So, for example, he was calling out my money last night on the on the National Development Plan, saying that the DA actually had its own economic policy. You know, it didn't have mm-hmm. to piggyback on the ANCs and say, yes, I know we know it's your plan, but, you know, you're not doing it right. So let's show, us, show you how we can do it right. That's not what the DA should stand for. It should be a proper alternative opposition party. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, I, the, I, I think that he, the, the large majority of the DA constituency and voting delegates are already swept away by the Musi tide, mm. you know, because of all this, you know, this whole um, world of publicity around him. And I don't think that a lot of people recognize or believe that policy and um, sort of firm, uh, mature leadership, uh, old school leadership is what the DA needs uh, uh, right now. And that's what Wilmot James largely seems to represent. While in in some of the interviews, um, because there was a lot of coverage of this election race in the Sunday papers, and some of the interviews... um, um, well, most of the interviews, actually, I was more impressed with Wilmot James's answers. Oh, the, absolutely, the, the, the yeah. He seems to have a stricter idea of where he wants to part, the yes. party to go, but he also seems to be critical of of where the party has come to now. Mm-hmm. That that idea that um, some uh, common you know, uh, writers and commentators and things criticize the DA for is losing their the heart of liberalism or whatever mm-hmm. that means, you know. And and he sort of said that he, he suggested that the DA has drifted from some of its values. Which I think is as Helen Zilla has tried to open the party to inclusiveness for growth. Um, but he just still doesn't seem like the leader 
that yeah, they need. He's not charismatic uh, uh, enough, I think, and you know, uh, I, that that kind of switches people off him. He does. He doesn't hold people's attention. But I think that the DA has to be very careful that they don't lose him. That this this factional battles mm. that's driving this now doesn't lead to to people like him and people who are supporting him uh, being alienated in the party because it's very clear that they play a very big and solid role in the DA. Um, and Who, you know, who's that? Sorry. Uh, the the people like Wilmot James oh, yes, yeah. and the people that yeah. support you, <laughs> that you know. But um, you know, when I was reading those um, those interviews um, and the the Q and As with with the two candidates in the Sunday Times, I was thinking to myself, you know, Musi Maimani is the kind of guy where you say, "I love you," and he says, "I love you too," and <laughs> and and Wilmot is the kind of guy who will say. You know, this is the reason I love you, and he'll tell you, you know, like mm. all the things well, about yourself that makes him love you. Or, or, or if you tell tell him that you love him, he'll say, "Why? Tell me why you love me." <laughs> yes, Prove exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, don't, and what don't, you've done, don't tell me you love me. Show me. Yes, and what you have done actually shows that you don't actually love me that much. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and whereas Musi will get back with saying, oh, "I love you too," mm. like, and you know, mm. that that's it. But you just mentioned factionalism, and, and in in any internal party election or race. That is a real risk of losing some of your best, um, best minds and best campaigners. Do you think it's going to play a role here? And is there, is there any sign that the losing, um, those on the losing side might end up leaving of their own volition or being pushed out? Because we, we have seen some, you know, some key DA, DA members, particularly Linda Wemosabuko, Tim Harris, and, and so on, um, leave their positions because of what was reported as factionalism. Yeah, I, you know that there's a big danger of that. We've seen it in the ANC. Uh, that after Mangawung, that whole Forces for Change crew have been completely alienated. Some of them have clawed their way back, like um, uh, Figil and Balula, um, and some of the people in Gauteng. But, you know, for a large while, they were out in the wilderness. And, it, you know, it did create problems. And I think the ANC learned its lesson in the 2014 election because, you know, the, the, the certainly the Gauteng provincial leadership of the ANC was alienated so much after that factional battle that you know they were they were not at their strongest when they had to campaign in the in the 2014 elections and therefore the, with the DA they run the real risk of this i was surprised last night for example um you know how um fierce and intense uh the camp camps were because mm. you know some of the, the 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 criticisms or the comments being made on twitter by people supporting opposition camps are quite harsh mm-hmm. um and you would think that you know these people will serve in the same caucus in the in parliament how do they like actually look at these people in the face again after saying such mean things about them mm-hmm. um you know to, to and it, th- those comments are then repeated far and wide and now, considering Fakilem Balula's recent um, behavior on Twitter, um, I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't have minded if he never came back with him. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I mean, he's such an irritation. And, you know, he's, he's uh, the, the, uh, the kind of responses he gives to questions, oh, legitimate queries, you know, he's just, he, he's, he's like a, a schoolyard bully. That's right. Now, uh, we're talking about uh, the DA's Congress coming up this weekend. And on the line, we've got Daily Maverick uh, journalist Rebecca Davis, who's, who's recently authored a book, Best White and Other anxious delusions but first of all we're going to ask Rebecca a little bit about some of the DA issues. Becca how are you doing? Rebecca. I'm well thank you Greg. Hi Anthony. Hi Rebecca. Now one of the issues that's marred the DA in recent days Rebecca is this sex scandal. Can you tell us a little bit about about this email that came out? It was an email which seemed to have been sent to the federal heads of the DA and was either sent to certain media outlets or just leaked which was supposedly written by a 
seemingly junior previous DA staffer who made allegations about what she described as a sort of systemic network of sexual patronage within the DA with female DA MPs being made to sleep with leaders to get um, party positions, with uh, senior male leaders abusing their positions, abusing the trust of their juniors in order to have affairs with younger female employees. She claimed, I mean, she made claims about a number of high-ranking DA members, including Musi Maimane, for instance, um, and just said that there was this culture within the DA where these sort of indiscretions were known but never penalized and um, that it was a sort of just a, an accepted fact of the culture within the DA. Now, Rebecca, um, obviously with the election coming up, do you see this as part of um, factionalism? Is it is it uh, credible claims? Could it be a bit of both? You know, it's interesting. I mean, it was interesting that one of the only people not mentioned in the email who, uh, who is currently in the, the spotlight was uh, Woman James. I'm not for one second suggesting that Woman James camp had anything to do with the email. But obviously these kind of speculations will will inevitably be be brought to the fore by the timing, but by the fact that this is by nature a very divisive moment in the DA and why now would be naive if we weren't asking why is this happening in the week where the DA is going to their federal congress. I was chatting about it with some other Cape Town journalists this morning and one of them suggested that the email could not have been written by someone with that intimate knowledge of the party because, they said, there were DA figures who are known to have behaved perhaps worse than some of those mentioned, but he didn't get mentioned in the in the email. So, the, so their suggestion was that it might be from someone pretending to have more information than they than they could have. But maybe, um, maybe they should serialize the emails here and have <laughs> <laughs> this week in DA Sexgate. Right. <laughs> well, I'd be interested for somebody to, 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 I mean, for a journalist at the time on their hands, and maybe the Sunday papers are getting into this, to do a bit of digging about who sent it. I believe it was sent from an email address of somebody calling themselves Tom Tom Jeffries or Tom Humphreys or something. It's obviously not not the real name, but I mean, in this day and age, it must be there must be some possibility that those things can be traced. Um, I'm sure it was I the ANC. That, State security would be all over it. You know, I don't think it was the ANC. I think that it probably was somebody acquainted with the DA. That is definitely my suspicion. Um, but I think it's quite interesting, Rebecca, how the DA has, um, uh, you, uh, responded to this because, you know, the DA, yeah. uh, like sends out, um, uh, statements like 21 a day or something like that. And, you know, there's been hardly any communication, uh, on this and the leadership has basically, uh, dismissed it immediately as nonsense. Um, and there's not even like a, you know, a, 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 any attempt to, to try and investigate this or, you know, even if it's for just for PR purpose to say we're looking into it. Um, well, yeah, it's a very, inter- it's a very interesting thing. This because, I mean, a lot of people you may have seen on Twitter were criticizing the media for not publicizing this more and suggesting there were double standards. If it had been the ANC, it would have been all over the place. Now, as journalists, we know that there's no way for us to publish these allegations without in- trying to verify them. That we can't just publish an anonymous email and say, "Well, this is what people are saying about the DA," and that would apply to any political party, right? So the allegations of bias are there and founded. But the only way media outlets could report on it 
was when the DA commented on it. So I think if I'd been a DA leader and I'd really wanted to bury this, I wouldn't have made any comment mm. whatsoever on it because in that way, no one would have been able to print a thing. Even the fact that they, the, the DA federal leaders did issue this sort of like two-line rejection of it meant that it was fair game to be reported on at all. So I thought they sort of made a bit of a, a misstep there. But I agree with you, Anthony, that for a, for a party that prides itself so much on this culture of non-cronism, non-patronage and transparency... It does seem, I mean, we aren't privy perhaps to the internal processes, but it would be good to see some evidence that, you know, such charges would be would be taken seriously. And it also leads me to wonder what has happened with that case of a few months ago where a charge of sexual um, harassment was laid against a supposedly quite senior DA figure. I followed it up a few weeks later with the federal chair, James Self, and he told me that the matter was still going through its internal investigation, but... This has, has reminded me that I must take up on that again because on that matter, there again has been this silence from the DA and it seems that as journalists, we're going to have to be the ones to do a bit of digging there. Now, Rebecca, um, we've, we've sidetracked you on to talk about the Democratic Alliance, but obviously we've got you here today to talk about your new book, um, Best White and Other Anxious, Anxious Delusions. And I was telling you last night that it was getting me in trouble because I was trying to read it while my girlfriend was asleep and I kept on laughing out loud and waking her up. So, <laughs> and, and, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, uh, Greg, you've just like disappointed all your female fans on air now. So, you know, your, your, your extremely large following of secret admirers will be like, suicidal now. <laughs> okay, so back to the book. Now, now, Rebecca, it's it's obviously um, a series of different essays on a range of topics, um, and and at times it reads like a stand-up comedy performance. I think finding humour in your own experiences and everyday observations while making sharp social and political commentary. But I want <laughs> thank you. Can I get that on the cover? <laughs> I I, I want to ask. There's a lot of journalists, it's quite common these days for us to go and write true crime book, books. And obviously you spent a lot of time right, uh, working on the Oscar Pistorius case. And I wanted to ask why why this sort of book? <laughs> there does seem to be a trend in South Africa at the moment that if you are a journalist about to bring in book, everyone assumes it is going to be a lengthy, lengthy sort of thesis on whatever court case you are most recently covering. I mean, we've seen a slew of books and journalists about various Crime matters. I mean, I had absolutely no interest in writing one of those books just because, first of all, I mean, you know what it's like as a journalist when you've been covering the same thing for weeks or months. The last thing you want to do is sit down, I think, and write any more about it. And I think there's also the sense that however well those books sell, and they do sell well, that's the thing, um, that surely the public eventually gets a bit saturated with with crime. I mean, it's just it's not something I want to get home after a hard day's work and read. And so that's why I wanted to write something that was a little bit different. I mean, also because in our day job, we write so much serious analysis and we deal with all this depressing politics and so forth. So I just wanted to write something that would entertain more than anything else, which is why it's not a book to be taken seriously at all. It's <laughs> a silly book, really. Also, but, your um, life, I think, is a lot more interesting than Oscar's. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Also very kind. <laughs> the, the yeah, no, I know. I did learn a lot about you from this book, Rebecca, particularly your travels and random jobs you've had over the years. But one thing I was wondering, because because a lot of these a lot of these issues are personal experiences that that you're recalling and and commenting on and linking it to all other sort of things. How while you're writing this sort of stuff, do you ask yourself like how much information should I share about my private life? Is is there a cutoff? Are there, are there things that you didn't include because it would have been oversharing? I mean, I don't think it's a very private 
private book. I definitely didn't put anything in there that, you know, was a secret or related to my very intimate emotional <laughs> life or anything like that. And I would absolutely hate, you know, the thought of that gives me thrills thinking about it. And, you know, there are, there are um, elements which relate to myself, but I read somebody described it somewhat as a memoir, which absolutely made me scrick because I was like, what kind of a 33-year-old wife a memoir? I mean, who <laughs> the hell do I think I am? It's really not a memoir. It's just occasionally using personal anecdotes as a springboard to discuss other things that um, that I find interesting. But yeah, I'm sure there are friends of mine and family and so forth will be reading it going, wait, there's going to be something about me every, any second now, any second now. And I'm sure there's a special dread that accompanies that. That experience. And the thing about writing memoirs is people normally, um, or, or, or you it's know, journalists. Not a memoir, range, No, no, no. But but journalists <laughs> writing books is that you know to to go through their experiences and and a lot of people tend to do this chronologically, um, you know, to tell the story of their amazing lives. But you, <laughs> apart from the fact that you didn't want to do that, you also broke it down um, into kind of essay forms. And and what was the the, the advantage of of writing it in? that way you know i just wanted to, i mean i quite like collections of essays and it's not a genre that we see very much of in south africa at all it's like the only i mean we had a few in recent years like it's just mckay's collection and so forth but it's not something we see a lot of but i like them and raymond sutner has a collection of well columns but they can be read as essays out recently i like them because it means you can dip into it you don't have to commit to like a huge long chapter or something these are short short sort of ramblings about life and so forth and i like that set up just because, um, you know, yeah, it, 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 it's not something that you have to get stuck into and then you pick up again and you can't remember where you left off. It's just bite-sized chunks, which I hope I'll make for a kind of um, manageable reading experience when we're all so busy. Because, I mean, who has time to read at all? We're not in a country where there's lots of us who are able to read on commutes for long distances. I mean, either you're commuting long distances in very cramped and uncomfortable situations or you're, you're driving. So it's, I understand that it's hard to find time, and the hope was that you know these chapters are short enough that you can that you can have a few and um, call it nice. <laughs> and also, you had you had to do this while while carrying on your day job as as a as a writer for the Daily Maverick. That must have been quite difficult. And you were in the midst of uh, of writing uh, of covering the Oscar trial. <laughs> it, it did have its challenges, Renjani. It did. I so mean, we all know. Yeah, <laughs> we. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, most of us, journalists and stuff, you do have to do a lot of writing at the moment just because, you know, those are the constraints of the industry at the moment. So it is not an easy thing to find time to carry out a side project like this. And to be honest, I don't think I'd do it again in a hurry. And Rebecca, before people buy the book, I'm, and, and it's available at all good bookstores, I'm sure, I'm sure they're wondering what is a best white? Is this, is this a book on race relations <laughs> in, you know, post-apartheid South Africa? It absolutely is not. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to clarify that. Um, it's not a serious book and it's not a serious concept. But the idea of a best white is a sort of satirical idea, which is that kind of a white person who feels themselves in a competition with all the other white people, but they're winning because they are the most non-racist. So the absolutely real, right-on best whites. Oh, really? Is that who, what it's about? 
That's, it, that's what one, one, one of the essays is about. It's, and it's quite, it's quite hilarious. It's, it's that person you know, sort of a white person who will always, always be, um, the first to jump to be saying, oh, that's racist and, and be talking to them. Oh, I hate those people those. on Twitter. <laughs> so, so, so to try and yeah. not, to try and prove that they're not racist, yeah, they take all these. Yeah, the campaigning type, yeah. you know, that, um. You see them on Twitter a lot yes. because they're always the first to point out other white people's racism and, their racism detectives are pinging all the time because they're they're constantly on the lookout for the worst possible interpretation of other white people's words, and they're also the people who tell you that they went to schools that were interracial from the beginning of time, even though you suspect that can't possibly be true. Their parents always had amazing struggle <laughs> credentials. They're just like the best whites. Okay, that's that's. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having us on. Your book is Best White and Other Anxious Delusions. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Now, before we close out the show, Ranjini, let's let's come back to the DA issue quickly and just sort of look at their future. I think obviously the DA is quite quite confident um, for their future because they're growing votes. They're they're looking to even govern in in certain municipalities after 2016 elections, and but the the political landscape I think is changing, where a lot of young people are fed up with the idea of, you know, sort of a rainbow nation and and they're looking for a more radicalised or even racialized politics. Um, we have the EFF come out, who who is a lot stronger um, on more issues than the DA is and, and offers a lot more populist appeal. Then we also have um, the, the so-called NUMSA Workers' Party that might be happening. What sort of leader does the DA need um, in that environment to be able to continue to grow the party and their supporter base. I think that was another factor, uh, leading to, to, um, Musi Mayamani's march to glory this weekend is because he has shown that he, you know, he can compete, um, with, uh, the kind of hot and happening uh, new age politicians we have now. Uh, so if he, you know, is on the stamp with, uh, with Julius Malema and Irvin Jim as well as Mavavi, he can carry his weight, you know, he, he can compete with them. And I think that is a huge challenge now for, so even someone as street smart as Helen Zilla, I think would have serious problems going up against Julius Malema. Mostly because he, he doesn't play by anyone's rules. Um, and because, you know, he, he's, he's kind of, um, you know, scuppered the entire way of, uh, how politics, uh, was happening or conducted in South Africa. Um, and, and, and does his own thing. So, you know, he can get up in parliament, um, and say, we're going to undertake land occupations and, you know, which is an, basically illegal activity. And nobody quite knows how to deal with him on that because he has found a niche um, in South African politics where he appeals to people who are disgruntled, fed up, um, and don't know what else to do. So my money can't, or wherever it is it comes uh, into the DA leadership, cannot just go through the old school way of doing things. So you say that we have the policies to do this, to encourage a free market system, to uh, create more jobs without saying how you're going to do it. And I think that that is what the DA needs to do now. This Congress in uh, in Port Elizabeth is about um, an election race, but it also needs to deal with that how do we tap into this growing constituency of people who are really fed up and uh, and exhausted with waiting for delivery and waiting for jobs or waiting for the burden of poverty to be lifted off them? 
Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure, for example, that other leaders of the DA would be able to, to, to talk that talk. Um, and I think that that is why, uh, you know, there, there is going to be a lot of focus now on, on Musi Maimani when, when he is elected as to how he drives that agenda, how he, how he sets, uh, himself up as the new voice of the voiceless, the new voice of people who, uh, who are looking for something else. Other than just, um, you know, the, the, the ANC's promises of a good story and the EFF stories of let's uh, tear this shit up. And I'm sure, <laughs> and I'm sure as he does that, there'll be a lot of criticism from the DA. If he's trying to be another Malema or another sort of model himself on the ANC leaders, there'll be criticism of him that they're just going to be ANC light or, you know, it's just another Julius. But that's all we have time for today. You've been listening to the Daily Maverick show on, on Cliff Central. Thanks to Ran Jenny, um, for coming in and Rebecca Davis, who was also on the phone. Uh, we'll see you next week. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.